The sermons this um, Christmas season I've entitled Unfinished, The Why of Christmas, because each week I want us to look at what was behind Christmas. Uh, Every year at Christmas we remember and read about and celebrate the events, what happened, the uh, manger, the shepherds, the wise men, all of those things, and they are the story. And while they're wonderful, and we all love each one of them, there was something even more important, and that is what was behind them. Why was God doing this? Why was he doing what he did when he did it as Christmas unfolded? And what I want us to understand is that there were, in a sense, huge issues that were unresolved. There were needs that weren't met. There were questions that needed to be answered big issues of life and God understood that and so he unfolded Christmas in the way he did so that we could find those answers so that we could find solutions so that we could have a sense of a bright future because of what God did for us last week we looked at how God finally moved at Christmas time And in so doing, broke over 400 years of silence. And it was something that all of us can relate to. Because we all experience times when we pray, we wait, we ask, and we don't hear anything from God. And the longer that goes on, or the greater the crisis, or the greater the need, and that silence persists, it can be so troubling to us. It can cause us to question, does God really care? And what we saw last week that was God was waiting for a purpose, not just for the sake of waiting. He was getting everything in readiness. And when he did speak, he spoke beyond anything Israel had ever hoped for. All Israel wanted was a victory and a restored political government. And God came to earth himself as the word that spoke into the silence and established a kingdom that will last forever and a kingdom that will include peoples and races and languages and cultures from around the world. God broke his silence. God does care. And we heard that for each of us. Well, today I want us to look at another reason God did what he did at Christmas But to do that, I want to start with a question. When you think of Christmas, what is the first emotion that you think of? What comes to you? My guess is there's the top two. We'll see. How many of you thought love? Whoa, okay, maybe not. (laughs) Okay, work with me here. How about joy? Ah, good, okay. Well, that's the one I wanted the most, so thank you. I think a lot of us think we sing songs, joy to the world, we we think of joy. There is one problem with joy. How long will it last? If you're like me, maybe the day after Christmas. You know, we have this joy and we celebrate it, but then we got to clean it all up. Or then everybody leaves. Or we got to do our returns or whatever, and that joy that was so great on Christmas Day, like, oh, where'd that go? It just seems to come in short bursts, 
and then all kinds of things and circumstances sort of steal our joy. We even talk about it that way. Well, what I want to challenge you with today is the idea that there's an even greater emotion that God has come to give us at Christmas, greater than joy. And that's what I want us to talk about today. To get a handle on that, I want to ask a question that we don't even want to talk about, and that is the news and how our world is doing. I would suspect that most of you were like me, that this was a pretty painful week, wasn't it, with the news? Um, it started off with the shooting at Pearl Harbor right before December 7th, and then we lost three airmen in the National Guard crash outside of Stap um, Kimball. And then, of course, the shooting at Pensacola. Just bang, bang, bang. And that's just in the news. But the reality is our world is not a fun place to live because even if you don't listen to the news, it comes home to us, doesn't it? Whether it's problems in our own personal lives, whether it's situations at work, whether it's relationships, Spending some time with someone who's very dear to you, but you're seeing that person become more and more frail, and you're realizing they're not going to be around a lot longer. And everywhere we turn, there are the challenges of life that steal our joy. And a lot of days, it's hard to find joy. I don't know that it's really good news, but there is some comfort in the fact that this isn't something just now. This isn't something that we're the only ones who've had to face. It's interesting that Paul said in Romans 8.22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Paul saw this world as it is today as it was in his day. And he said, you know, there's an issue going on here that is much bigger than what's going on in my life or your life or my family or your family. There is a, an issue going on that affects all of creation, all humanity, our globe, our whole ecosystem, the, the, the galaxy, everything is affected by this that's going on and it's not good. In fact, it's so bad it causes all of creation to groan. That sort of, oh, when we're hurt. And he compares it to one of the great points of pain in life, and that's childbirth. Life is painful. Paul's right. I think most of us read that and say, amen, Paul, you're right. It's not always fun to live the life that we have. And sometimes it's that life that steals our joy from us. And, of course, the motivational experts come along and say, well, we just need to be positive. I, you know, this phrase, and some of you may say it, but the positivity behind it, it just grates on me. Make it a great day. And it seems like salesmen always say that. And I think, you know, I've got some days to tell you about that I want to say, good luck with that. You know, good luck with that. As I've just heard about cancer, or I've lost my job, or my marriage is falling apart, or I've got a child that's addicted, 
with what's going on in life, how do we just put a positive spin on it? I'm not sure that's always possible. Sometimes life hurts. There's a story in ancient Greek mythology about the king of Corinth, which I thought was interesting since we studied Corinth this fall. His name was Sisyphus, and he died. But he was a terrible king. He was totally wrapped up in himself. He was very greedy. He was very deceitful. He would do anything for him to win. Well, the story goes that Sisyphus died and was sent to Hades, and his punishment for the life he had lived is that he was given this enormous boulder. And he was told that there was this big mountain in front of him, and he needed to push that boulder to the top of that mountain. And he struggled, and he struggled, and he struggled, and he finally got that boulder up till it was just about to the summit. And it rolled all the way back down again. And he was told, guess what? Do it again. And for the rest of your life, for eternity in Hades, you will try and push that boulder up, and it's going to roll down, and you're going to push it up, and it's going to roll down. That story became popular because in some ways it describes life at times, doesn't it? Sometimes we all feel like we have got this rock that we thought we moved it, and it just rolled back down the hill. And now we have to go push it again. There's not something wrong with us. It's something wrong with our world. One other thing Paul said is that the whole creation has been groaning. Uh, no, the next one. Creation has been subjected to frustration, but done so by God in hope. That's the emotion that I think God came to give us at Christmas, hope. Because you see, different from joy, hope is not linked to my circumstances. In fact, sometimes when my circumstances are not good, hope is even more important. We need hope. And if we have hope, we can face difficult circumstances. We can face challenging times if we have hope. That's what I think one of the things that God did at Christmas is to come to earth as the Word, as Emmanuel, God with us, to speak out of that hundreds of years of silence so he could come with a message that would give us hope. One of the prophecies about the, the, the coming birth is from Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Just that verse has such a powerful image of this dark black night that's scary, maybe it's a storm, whatever, or you feel lost, or you're not sure what's out there, and suddenly somebody turns on a light. And how that changes everything, doesn't it? It's like, oh, it's going to be okay. There's now a light there. And that darkness isn't nearly as threatening. The promise the prophet Isaiah gave was hundreds of years before Christ was born, 
is that there would come a time when God would act in such a way that he would turn on a light for us. A light that would shine into our lives that at times are full of deep darkness. And there are things in that darkness that we hear or we think we see moving. We don't even maybe are sure what they are, but we know they terrify us. And God said, I will turn on a light that will give you hope. I want you to turn over with me to Isaiah 61. These three verses are what God is going to do and what he did at Christmas. And what was accomplished through Christ coming to earth and being born in that stable. Keep your finger there because I want us to talk about these three verses for a little while. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I want us to go back and look at those verses because that's what Christ accomplished when he came to earth. This promise of God, spoken hundreds of years earlier, God kept that promise when Christ came to earth. Let's go back and walk through those, if you would, please. Because, you see, I believe Christ came to give us that hope. These words in Isaiah 61 are for us, not just ancient Israel. They are for us, and what I found as I looked through these verses, I think all of us at some point will find ourselves in these verses. Can we look at what the hope that Christ came to give us? The first one is good news to the poor. And maybe for you, that's you. There's a financial struggle, maybe there's an employment struggle. Things aren't meeting in the middle. God notices. There's good news. To bind up the brokenhearted. How many of us sit there today brokenhearted? Something that has happened or not happened. Some situation, some relationship, some encounter, some conflict, some words that have been spoken that have left us brokenhearted but that God wants to come and in his love bind the pieces of that broken heart back together. Freedom for the captives. We're coming to understand in our world that there are all kinds of captives, aren't there? Not just in prison cells. There are captives to addictions and behaviors and situations that they don't know how to get out of, don't know how to overcome. But God sees, and God says, I will work and bring freedom. Release from darkness for the prisoners. 
How many situations do we feel imprisoned in? To comfort all who mourn. We all struggle with that. We watch these tragic situations in the news or we see them in our own lives or our families or close friends. And we lose people. And we mourn and grieve. But God says, I will bring comfort to you. Those who grieve. And then he goes on to say, let me give you a gift exchange, if we can use Christmas terms. And he lists three things that he wants us to exchange. A crown of beauty instead of ashes. Ashes was a symbol used in the ancient world for loss and grief, shame. And people would put ashes on them for all of those reasons. And God says, I want to come and give you beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. Anointing with oil was a celebration. It was an honor. God says, I have come that you might find joy instead of the sadness in your life, the mourning. And the third one that we use in songs, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And we've all been there where we just sit in despair. We don't have energy to do anything. We don't know what to do. And we sit in our despair. And God wants to come and work in such a way that instead of that, we want to rise and stand in praise for him. Rejoicing. And I think there's a summary at the end of that. That we would become oaks of righteousness. We're fortunate we live in a part of the country that's full of oaks. And I'm a woodworker, so I have a lot of red oak in my shop. But red oak is strong. An oak tree will endure and last for decades. God says, that's what I want to make you into. Mighty oaks that handle the storms of life. That you are secure. That's hope. And it's not linked to the current circumstance. And nor does God say, I will take away everything that you struggle with. But he says, I want to bring you hope that you know this will not last. This is not the way things permanently are. Yes, this world is right now groaning. And yes, it's as in the pains of childbirth. Yes, it's frustrating. But there is a reason behind that, and it will not last forever. It's not the permanent way things are. It's temporary. I want to talk for a second of what hope looks like for us. What we have as Christians, as we celebrate Christmas, the hope that we have because Christ came to earth, I think oftentimes, most of the time, when we talk about the hope that we have as Christians, we focus here, don't we? We focus on the cross. We focus on Christ's death. As as Kent talked about, we celebrate communion each week to remember Christ's sacrifice for us. And we should. That changes everything. But it's not everything God gave us. And I think sometimes we need to step back and realize just how much hope 
God has given us in Christ coming to earth and what he did while on, on earth. We spent this fall in one of the Wednesday night classes that I've led studying heaven and what happens after we die. It's been a great, fun study. But it's just overwhelming to take the time to think about all that we have waiting for us. We're going to get new bodies, new life. And whatever we struggle with now, whatever debilitates us, whatever disease affects us, whatever weaknesses frustrate us, those are gone. And we will be given new bodies, eternal bodies, without any of those weaknesses or faults or failings. And it is in that new perfect body that we will experience all else that God wants to give us. But it's not just a future hope that Christ gives us. He gives us our adoption that we can accept now as we accept Christ as our Savior. That it's not just our sins that are forgiven. We become children of the living God. Sons and daughters of God, Paul says, co-heirs with Christ. That we will reign with Christ. We are now a child of the living God. And whatever we have done, it doesn't matter. Christ took care of that. And God says, I choose you. He chooses you to be his son, his daughter, that he knows you. He smiles when he sees you. He knows every hair on your head. He cares for you as only a father can. You're his child now. And you need never doubt that. If Christ is your Lord and Savior, you can enter his throne room at any time and he sees your face and he knows who you are. And he smiles. And he wants to listen. And because we are his children, we are also part of his new kingdom. This world and these kingdoms that we are a part of, they're not going to last. And the news shows us their cracks all the time. But the good news is our passport is to a kingdom that will last forever. And that passport says that we are citizens now of the kingdom of God. And that is not just future. That means we now have the authority and the power of God's kingdom. That he is living in us. And that whatever we face in life, we do not face it alone. We can have hope because the spirit of God dwells in us to give us extra power, to give us extra guidance, to help us see truth in confusion, that we can begin now. Jesus' number one message when he preached, if you look at all three years of his preaching, his number one message was, I have come to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. And you can come in right now. And begin experiencing those privileges of being a child of God, a citizen of God's kingdom. 
And that helps us as we face life now. That's where we find hope. But it's not just there. One of the things that we looked at in the class a lot was in Romans 8, where Paul said, For the creation, all of creation that has been groaning and subjective frustration, all of creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And what Paul says there is that when Christ returns and he fixes all of this, he doesn't just fix us. He doesn't just resurrect us to new bodies. He fixes all of creation. And it was so fun to talk about that because whatever you look around and frustrates you, causes you to groan, that won't be here. Because what, Paul, what, what John was shown at the end of Revelation is that we are going to experience a new earth and a new heaven together as God comes down and dwells here. And when he does that, the earth is fixed. And we will be dwelling in these perfect bodies on this perfect earth as God originally intended it with all of the beauty that we see and no disease, no war, nothing breaking, things even better and only getting better. And God says that you will have to enjoy for eternity together with those around us as we celebrate this future that God says, I am preparing for you. As Christ tells his disciples, I'm going to leave you for a while, but don't be in despair because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I do that, I'm coming back to get you. And we will dwell together forever. That's why Christmas happened. That we can have that kind of hope. Yes, it doesn't remove the challenges we face. It doesn't remove all of the bad news. And that will continue. But what we can focus on is the hope that we have, the help that we have now, who we are now as a child of God, a daughter or a son of the living God, a citizen of God's kingdom, with God dwelling in us, to help us, to guide us, Him listening to our prayers, Him working in whatever situation we face, that we can have hope. We have a God who has said, I will take even what bad comes into your life and I will work good from it, that you might have hope. And hope isn't linked to whether or not I have good news today. Hope is there in every day, whatever we face, and that's why Christ came. That's why Christmas happened, that those living in deep darkness might see a light and know there is
Father, thank you for the hope that came from a manger in a stable in Bethlehem. Emmanuel, you come to earth to be with us, to deliver us, to save us, to give us hope. Father, if there are people in this room today struggling with hope because of a frustrating life, maybe a life that causes groaning and pain, Father, may your love be very real to those people today. May they realize there is, there can be hope. And help them reach their hand to you. For you came to earth because you wanted them to have hope. Help them. Help them experience that hope this Christmas season. In your son's name.